Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMA LOT, and joined by my guy, John Stargarium. You guys can follow him at MMA Fox on Twitter. And we are here propping you up for UFC Vegas 36, headlined by Derek Brunson and Darren Till in a pivotal middleweight scrap that I can't wait to break down for you guys. And it's always great to have my guy, John, with me. John, how's it going, brother? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. C- cashed a nice plus 550 last weekend. Unfortunately, didn't catch anything else on the night. <laughs> so the, the night ended up a little in the red. But yeah, I am excited to get back on the horse this week. I don't really know if it's the best card for betting just in general. But, you know, there's some intriguing spots. Yeah, this last card actually that passed us by, that, that one was a weird one too, right? Like I, as yeah. soon as that Mana Martinez fight went to a decision, I'm like, oh, it's going to be one of those fucking <laughs> nights, all right? So uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, people lost money out on that. I'm sure, uh, you know, myself included, I had it in a couple uh, Hail Mary parlays as well. But hopefully we can make the most out of this 10 fight slate that we got ahead of us here. And uh, even for yourself, man, to cash a plus 550 and still end up in the red, goddamn, <laughs> that's got to feel like shit, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, especially... Actually, like I was huge on Barboza, and after round two, I wasn't even stressed. I'm like, gig is fading, he's taking <laughs> over, the fight's over. Like, that's literally, I was texting my one of my buddies, and I was like, that's it, I'm, it's over. And then very shortly thereafter, I was not very happy. Constantly, so. like, fuck you, John. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Yeah, before we get into the card, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe. And obviously, I do have the Club and Sub podcast channel in the description below. So make sure you guys go check that out. That's obviously where John is the ringleader over there with C, Legs, and sometimes Luke as well. Uh, Quick question about that. In terms of the 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 lineup that you guys normally have yeah. for that podcast, do you guys like purposefully only do like two guys per week or something? Or like <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure it out. Like no, no, we have I mean, way, right? uh, our normal is four, but you know, week to week, different people have different things come up. I just happen to both work from home and be married with a kid, so nothing comes up for me. That's okay. <laughs> makes, sense. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was just, I was wondering, I'm like, normally there's like four of you guys, five of you guys, yeah. whatever the fuck it is, and sometimes there's two, but uh, no, it's good that you guys at least have enough people to get hold the fort down if it need be, just like you guys always do. Yeah, All right, sure. uh, let's not waste too much more time. Let's just get into this 10 fight card. First and foremost, we got Jonathan Martinez going up against Marcelo uh, Rojo, and in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 155 for Martinez, plus 135 for Rojo, and uh, I-, I feel like this is a prime spot for a violence bet. We got the under two and a half sitting around plus 115, and we know Jonathan Martinez's style is just to stay disciplined, stay on the outside, and just kind of get his work done from there, but with Rojo and his style, we know that he's probably going to push him, kind of pressure him, stay in his face, make it a little bit more difficult for Martinez to get as comfortable as he did as, say, the Thomas Almeida fight. We saw Davy Grant put the pedal to the metal in that second round against Martinez and was able to really have a lot of success against him and then eventually put him out a couple minutes later. I feel like we could see a potential here from Rojo as well. Uh, I believe Martinez uh, and uh, Grant was back in March. It's, he's about six months removed from that knockout, but I feel like that may not be enough time, especially coming back uh, and fighting a guy with as much power in his hands as Marcelo Rojo has. Another thing about Rojo, fighting at the weight class he probably should have been fighting at this entire time, although he did take that Jordan fight on short notice, so we got to give him a little bit of slack there. Uh, I think he has a good uh, the, the grittiness to go out there and make it a very difficult fight for Martinez, which could ultimately, you know, open himself to getting knocked out or getting finished himself, but I also think that he could potentially knock out Martinez here. So, I'm pretty much talking about knockouts here. You guys know that I'm talking about violence. So the under two and a half plus 115, not too bad. I actually like Rojo by knockout at plus 465. I don't think that's a bad spot here considering the amount of power that he has in his hands and the questionable durability for Martinez. Last thing I'll say about this, and then I'll pass it on over to you. I try to avoid moments like this where like a guy who's been super disciplined for the majority of his career and hasn't been really knocked out or has been having a suspect chin, uh, you know, and, and then he goes into his next fight and gets knocked out by David Grant. I try not to buy into the narrative of this guy's chinny and he's going to get finished easily anymore. But I feel like Rojo just brings something to the table that Martinez is going to have a difficulty dealing with. Uh, so that's why I like the unders. That's why I like the Rojo side and Rojo by KO. Where do you ultimately side on this fight? Yeah, I'm kind of torn on the fight in general. I'm actually thinking about betting Martinez just primarily because I think he's better at literally every aspect of MMA than Rojo. Like, he's just a far more technical striker. He has a grappling path. Like, Rojo's not much of a grappler. Um, And, you know, Martinez, 
even though Rojo's got a lot of finishing ability himself, you know, Martinez is more than capable of finishing this fight, and Rojo is there to be hit. The big kind of concern for me with Martinez, with all that said, you know, you brought it up, you know, Rojo presents some challenges in that he'll go forward and he is dangerous. You know, we don't know. I am not going to be the guy that says Martinez is chinny because he got KO'd by Davy Grant. Davy Grant's been dropping everybody these days. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't really what I took from that. Like, look, you can get KO'd. It's MMA. They're wearing four-ounce gloves, right? What I took from that, though, or what bothered me about that fight is it seemed like as soon as Grant realized he was going to go forward, Martinez didn't really have an answer. And we saw something similar happen in the Andre Ewell fight, where round three of that fight, Ewell is, has a broken hand and is basically fighting with one hand. But Ewell just kind of bites the mouthpiece and starts going forward on him, and he just basically stopped throwing volume at him and kind of let him win the round and steal the fight. And so <clears throat> that's a concern for me because Rojo is – he's going to go forward and he's going to get in his face and throw a lot. Now, do I think he's very likely to finish? I think it's a large portion of his win condition. Um, but I, I do think he could cause Martinez some problems. But, you know, even with that said – I think Martinez is the superior fighter everywhere. And so, like, I'm looking at minus 150. Like, man, you know, if Martinez is smart, he should cover this easily. But, so, yeah, I mean, I like Martinez for the fight. In terms of, you know, props, I don't love a lot. I, I mean, I like the under. If you put a gun to my head, that'd be where I would go here, the under two and a half. Because I do think, you know, like I said, we saw Rowe gas out hard against Jordan and get finished late. And that seems like it's going to be pretty reliable with him just get out of fights. And so it's like... If he's in that state of mind while he's fighting Martinez, I think it's very likely he's going to get finished if he's in that state. Um, and early on in this fight, you know, he's going to do his best to finish this fight. And so unless Martinez goes and goes the grappling path, but that really has, hasn't traditionally been what he's done. He just doesn't attempt very many takedowns. I, I think there's just a really high rate that this fight finishes. I like it, especially at plus money. I, I feel like I've talked to him about it uh, with somebody and say, they said it almost feels like a trap spot, right? Like where – you know, a guy, the majority of his fights are finishing it with Rojo. I believe it's 20 out of 23 fights that he's actually, yeah. you know, finishes at a distance. Whereas Martinez, you know, you know, not saying he has a suspect chin by any means, but still there, it is a little bit questionable considering uh, the type of fighter that he fought back in March and the type of fighter that he's fighting here now uh, this weekend against Rojo. Um, yeah, I mean, it's worth considering, right? I, I'm not like, I, I'm just saying I'm not ready to call him chinny, but I mean, maybe it's going to turn out that he does get rocked a lot going forward in his career. We'll see. I'd like to, I'd like to distance myself from that fight more first. If I'm looking to back Martinez, yeah. especially here against a, a very heavy puncher and Rojo. All right, let's move on to the next fight. I'm sure both of us have a ton to talk about here. We got Dolce Lungiambula going up against Mark Andre Barrio. We got minus one sixty on MAB and plus one forty five on Dolce. Now. I, this is, seems like a pretty damn good spot for Barrio to go out there and continue to show his progression within the MMA game. Obviously, stumbling right out the gate coming into the UFC as the champ champ over there in TKO comes into the UFC and loses three straight fights and everybody's ready to write this guy off. Luckily for him, the UFC was down to give him another shot, goes out there and beats Oscar Piajota, and then I believe he tests positive from some, for some sort of steroid. That fight gets changed to a no contest, and then he redeems himself by going out there and finishing Abu Azaitar with four seconds left on the clock. Cash that round three prop, because goddamn, I was really sweating that one there. Um, but... Feels like a similar fight with Abu Azaitar and Dolce Lungiambola in certain aspects, right? Both guys are heavy punchers. They have some decent grappling. I'd say Dolce a little bit more judo credentials and a little bit better of a wrestling background than what Azaitar brings to the table. But that gas tank is just so suspect, man. And now that this is going to be a second fight at 185 pounds, and he's actually going to fight somebody that will push him, not like Marcus Perez and not like Marcus Perez in terms of just accepting guard and then allowing Dolce to just stay on top of him. You know, Dolce, it's hilarious because, like, I believe at least once or twice in that fight, the fight got stood up because of inactivity. And it seems yeah. like Dolce just, just does his best to get the takedown, but then doesn't really do much in terms of trying to progress or find submissions or trying to get a TKO of any sort. It seems like he's inevitably going to have to get another takedown, which is why he's just trying to save up that energy when he's just laying on top of his opponents. Unfortunately for him, Yes, a guy in Marc-Andre Barrio who's going to be looking to work to get back to his feet has decent takedown defense of his own. I'm sure he will give up a takedown or two here, though, early in this fight. But the longer that it drags on, I think we'll see Barrio start to take over. Probably, you know, sixth or seventh minute of this fight, we'll see Barrio start to take over. And then once you see Dolce having to accept the fact that 
Barrio is just going to continuously get back to his feet. He's going to start to wilt. He's going to start to, you know, uh, reduce his activity and have his or not have as much success either. Uh, and I truly think that this is a good spot for Barrio to go out there and replicate the Abu Azaitar fight, get another third round finish. Because I do think that Dolce has a very suspect gas tank. I don't think he's 100% comfortable yet at 185 pounds. And sure, he's over there at Extreme Couture doing his thing, but. They can teach him whatever the fuck they want. It's not going to help his cardio. Sanford MMA Marc-Andre Barrio is still coming. He's still progressing. May not be a championship contender or anything like that, but he should be able to go out there and beat uh, rudimentary type of guys like a uh, Dolce Lungiamboa. So in terms of odds, or sorry, uh, in terms of props, I'm looking at either Mark by, uh, sorry, uh, Marc-Andre by decision at plus 250, or, you know, I got to sprinkle that uh, round three prop, and the bookies are already privy to it plus 760 for him to win by round three uh i feel like you're going to echo some of my sentiments here but did i miss out on anything for this and also which props do you ultimately like here not really so like i bet um barrio for a couple units on the money line here uh you know the thinking is pretty much like what you said you know Dalcha is explosive like i'll give him that like he is fast and he's qu- and he's explosive but the problem is that's the only way he works is an explosion like there's no when you're in the kind of the mid range of the fight after a combination, he's not throwing kicks or a jab. He's just kind of recharging the battery to explode again. And the problem with that is it's very easy to read. Like you go back and watch the Magomed Ankalaev fight. Look, Ankalaev is excellent, way better than Dalcha. But, you know, Dalcha wasn't even doing anything where he had a hope of landing there. It just, like, you know, the way he, it, it's just so predictable and so readable. Even Marcus Perez, who's a punching bag, you know, he wasn't really having much success landing on. And so, while I am a little worried about because is willing to take damage to go forward about him getting clipped, I, I kind of think it's him. Like I know Douch's output's going to be low, and I know the amount of opportunities he's going to have to do that are probably going to be small. Plus, he's very easy to read, and so the fight to me really comes down to you know takedowns. And I think you kind of nailed it. Look, Douch can get takedowns. He's athletic. He's explosive. He can probably get a couple takedowns here. But Andrew Sanchez couldn't control Mark Andre Barrio for long on the ground. Jun Young Park couldn't control him for long on the ground. The guy is not going to accept bottom position. He's going to try to get work right back up. Uh, and I don't think Dodge has got a great control game. And so I think for him to win the fight, he needs to basically be able to blanket him for eight or nine minutes probably. And I just don't think he has the cardio for that. Uh, on top of which, or KO him, which obviously could happen. But I, I just think I trust Barrio. I, I think Barrio as a fighter is like a C across the board, except he's got elite output elite cardio for the division and ridiculous durability. And that is pretty much, you combine that with good getups. That's really all I need against Daltra because I know he's going to keep coming the entire fight. Um, and I, similar to you, like I kind of feel the same way here. Like Barrio by decision is fine. Um, and I think Barrio round three, if you're getting, especially if you can get one of those books that has close to plus a thousand, I think it happens at a pretty good clip. We saw a definitive like dip in his gas tank in round two in his last fight. We saw it in his first fight against the Quan Townsend with no resistance really. So, yeah, I mean, I like Barrio here a lot. I like Decision, and I like the round three as well. Yeah, I'm glad we're on the same spot there because, again, there aren't too many spots on this entire card where you can feel truly confident. I feel like this is a spot where a lot of people are going to be on the same side here. And also, shout out to my guy DJ Lowe, Black Cherry over Mango. You know, as an Indian man, an Indo-Canadian man, I need to choose Mango over anything. If it's ever Mango against anything, it's Mango (laughs) all the fucking time. Shout out my guy, DJ Lowe. He already knows the Indian culture up here in Toronto. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Charles Jordan going up against Julian Rosa. We got back-to-back Canadians, speaking about Canada. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 185 for Jordan and plus 160-ish for Julian Rosa. Now, I feel like this is another spot where we can go out there and bet some violence because there should be some violence. I know some people are hitting the pause on that because of that article that came up about Julian Rosa saying he's going to go out there and grapple fuck for 15 minutes. I truly think it's mind games. I think it's just him kind of tugging. Like, not saying he can't go out there and grapple fuck. If you're, if there's any way you're going to go out there and beat uh, a guy like Charles Jordan, the, the blueprint is already out there. Go out there and grapple fuck this guy. But does Julian Rosa truly have what it takes to go out there and win a solid 10 minutes of grapple fucking? Potentially. But I think it's ultimately going to come down to a, a bit of a war here, right? It's a 150-pound catchweight. Charles Jordan almost seems like he chose Julian Rosa because he knew it would be like a either a fight of the night or a performance of the night type fight for him, especially with the way that Arosa fights. But man, Arosa's striking defense is so questionable in this spot. You know, Charles Jordan, very wild and, and, and you know, jumpy himself. Uh, but I feel like he has a little bit more composure and definitely more durability than what Julian Arosa brings to the table. I like Jordan in this spot, you know, not as much as most people. A lot of people are kind of hammering me saying, oh, you know, 
Jordan should be lock of the night play. It's, it's still a little bit iffy, man. You got to look at the fact that Julian Rosa has over two and a half times the amount of experience that this guy has. Uh, he's been in there with almost everybody. You know, I'm sure he's seen a style like Jordan in the past, but it's just that durability of a Rosa that gives me uh, some pause here. You know, he kept running into the same combination from Sungwoo Choi the last fight, which was fucking hilarious. And then eventually gets knocked out there. Um, I believe it was a lead left hook, if it, if I'm not uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I do think that Jordan will be able to find something to put Julian Rosa out either first or second round in the spot so jordan knockout plus 150 not bad i know it's chalky but the under two and a half at minus 150 minus 180 not too bad of a parlay piece if that's what you like there because i do think there's going to be immense uh uh violence in this fight uh arosa by submission plus 645 kind of catches my eye because he does have a sneaky darts and he does have some sneaky submissions on his record uh and then uh, I, I saw somebody else actually shout out to me uh jordan in round one plus 250 that's not to you know that that doesn't pop out to, to me too much i like jordan jordan ko and under two and a half how are you liking this one brother yeah so i kind of lean a rosa here to be honest <clears throat> I, and I, I don't disagree with a lot of your points about jordan you know what's kind of funny about a rosa like classically you would think of him as chinny but i'm not even sure it's a chinny thing so much as he's just defensively void like he stands with his okay. chin straight in the air at all yeah. times he's right there to be hit doesn't move his head much um, which obviously is a concern against the guy like Charles Jordan. Uh, and, and I do think the Jordan KO early in this fight is very live. Um, I guess the reason I like Arosa for a number of reasons you touched on, you know, you look at just the level of competition Arosa has fought has just been so good compared to Jordan. Like he fought Feely, obviously, and he gave him a tough fight. Uh, but then on top of that, you know, Arosa is actually huge for the division. Like he's, I think nice. he's coming in with four inches of height and like five and a half inch yeah. reach advantage here. Uh, and, you know, he's the kind of guy that, you know, while I have all of those big concerns about his chin, about his defensive issues and whatnot, and I do have those concerns here in every fight that I back him, he's a guy that also, though, is going to put pressure on you. And if you don't get him out of there early, most guys tend to fade against him because he's going to push an absolutely hellacious pace and he's going to do a ton of attritional work and just basically make you work all fight. You know, the guys who have beaten him have either finished him early or been able to match that cardio. Uh, Ken Jordan, maybe we'll see. I think his cardio is decent, but I'm not sure that it is. And to your point, Locke, you know, I agree. You know, if Arosa really wanted to wrestle that bad, you know, why didn't he wrestle against Nate Landwehr? Like, how many guys has he, you know, done it against in the past? But it does bear mentioning it is a potential path for him that he has that Jordan really doesn't have in this spot. And, and so, just kind of as a result, like, I think Jordan has a better chance to finish this fight early than Arosa. But I'd also, if this goes 15 minutes, I'd much rather be holding a Julian Arosa ticket on the money line. And I think Arosa is pretty dangerous as well. Uh, in terms of props, so yeah, I lean Arosa on the money line, but I do give some credence to, you know, the early Jordan props. And like I was going to say, in terms of props, I think if I was going to be backing Jordan, the Jordan round one plus 250, and in terms of any other for the fight, you know, it, it's chalky, but. I do kind of like the under two and a half, you know, if he, if Rosa does get him down, he's going to probably put him in some bad spots on the mat and on the feet, these dudes are going to absolutely slug it out. So it's minus 180, but I don't mind the under two and a half here. Another uh, fact to kind of note here, all of Jordan's wins coming inside the distance as well. Although yeah. that Rojo fight was damn close to being a decision, but he definitely put the foot on the gas and was able to get him out of there. Great fight. I believe that was fight of the night that night as well. Um, this is going to be like the fight. I mean, if it I goes agree. past two minutes, I, I this is going to be awesome. There's honestly, there's a handful of fights here that are dark horse for fight of the night, man. There's there's a yeah. ton of fights. Even the first fight, right? Martinez and Rojo should be a fucking banger as well. So I'm looking forward to that one as well. Uh, a fight that should possibly be one-sided here. We got Jack Shore going up against Ludovic uh, Shalinian. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at minus 525 or 550 now for Jack Shore. Plus 425 is the return on Ludovic uh, Shalinian. Now Shalinian obviously coming off the most recent season of the Ultimate Fighter. Lost his second fight to now ultimate fighter winner uh ricky tercios uh but even on the regional scene you see ludovic's kind of path to victory in most of his fights is taking the grapple heavy approach right uh that vincent cashero fight that was pretty much control versus damage where it seemed like the two of the three judges ended up scoring the control uh for ludovic more so than the damage that uh cashero was throwing out there um and even like earlier in his uh i think the first fight that we actually have on the tape index of uh shalinian was against some uh megan dude i forgot the megan anderson or something like that i feel like that was his name I, I can't recall off the top of my head but he got a guillotine from full mount <laughs> like you don't see that 
<laughs> like he literally just oh you're gonna give me your neck in full mount and he just takes it and fucking takes it home with him like it's hilarious seeing that type of guillotine i don't think i've ever seen somebody snatch a guillotine from a full mount like that before but that just goes to show the level of competition that he was fighting on the regional scene uh did have a small stint in lfa like i said with that cashero fight that makes it on to the ultimate fighter um Good showing against Raposo. Raposo, if I'm not mistaken, was the number one pick for uh, Team Volkanovski. Uh, but he was able to turn him away, get the win there. And then obviously comes up short in the Tercios fight, which probably goes down as fight of the season, possibly, because it was a very much back-and-forth fight. It didn't seem like uh, Shalinian was able to kind of just corral Tercios uh, to, to have the success that he was supposed to have in that fight. Um, I think he's going to have just as much difficulty here against Jack Shore, man. Jack Shore is an absolute <laughs> unit of a man. This guy is fucking insane. 14-0, 26 years old, growing on a fight-to-fight basis. And although he should be getting a step up in competition, if I'm not mistaken, this is a short-notice spot for Shalinian. Um, Shore has all the goods, man. I actually think he can get this done inside the distance as well. I think he can just grapple fuck uh, Shalinian, and then at a certain point, Shalinian is just going to break. I truly think he's going to break. Like That's the perfect word to use here. Uh, I think it's going to take up until the second round. So I like Shore. First of all, I like the under 2.5 at minus 110 at pick odds. I love that line. Um, uh, Shore inside the distance is currently... Uh, plus 110, like that as well. And then even if you want to go with the round props, uh, I think Shore round two plus 475 is a sneaky spot as well. I like Shore all day here. Uh, I really don't see where uh, Shalinian's going to beat him. Uh, are you going to add any more credence to Shalinian here, or are you going to echo my sentiments here for Shore? I am going to add zero credence to Shalinian. I will tell you what will <laughs> not be fight of the night, and it's going to be this one. Um, <laughs> I, so I actually, it's funny, because I, I taped Shalinian Sunday morning, and then I looked over, and I see on best fight odds, Shore minus 275 on um, BetMGM, while he was about minus 380 everywhere else. So I had to pick up a little bit of that, and then obviously the line got out of control here. But I actually do like a prop quite a bit here, and... I'm not going to go into an entire breakdown because I think you covered it pretty well. All I'm going to say is, you know, I touched on it last week, but grappling is very, very low variance. Uh, you have two guys here who want to grapple, and one of them is just a lot better than the other one is, and that's Jack Shore. And so, and even in the stand-up, to be honest, I think Shore is better by a good margin, to be honest with you. And so I think he's better wherever it goes, but in terms of grappling, if Shore gets taken down, I'm pretty confident Shore can work back to up top. If he gets in top position, I am not as confident with Shalinian. I think he dominates this fight uh, fairly easily, and I like the ITD a lot. You know, if you actually look at Shore's record, even if you don't want to go back and watch the fights and just wiki pat, but the guy's a finisher. You know, he's always actively looking for finishes, and when you watch him fight, you can see why. You know, if he has the back, he's attacking subs, but otherwise, he's very active on top. You know, he throws ground and pound, and so getting the positions I think he's going to get, I just think he finishes this fight at a much better than 50% clip here, uh, on top of which... I will say this, I would not play the short submission. Just the guy throws enough ground and pound that I think playing submission is playing with fire here because he could obviously finish each way he wants. But I think Shore does this pretty easy. I like it. I like it. I like it. Yeah, for sure. The best way to make that minus 500 into something better is take that inside the distance. And it feels for like sure. a guy like Jack Shore could definitely uh, uh, deliver on that as well. So glad that we both like Jack Shore there. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. I believe this is the prelim headliner. Not sure how I managed to make it there, but we got Ji-Yoon <laughs> Kim going up against Molly McCann. We got pick em odds pretty much here. Uh, yeah, minus 110 on both sides. Um, I, I really like Kim here. Uh, you know, again, I, I faded McCann the last two times out, plus 180-ish on Tyler Santos, which I think was a gift of a line, and then uh, plus 120-ish, which I ended up thinking, or, or which I believe ended up closing as a plus 100 on Lara Procopio. Um, but this one, it feels like it's going to come from the striking, whereas the other two, it, it came from grapple-fucking from both of their opponents, right? Um I, I think Kim with the 10 inch reach advantage, four in, or three inch height advantage as well, she should be able to maintain her distance. And I know everybody's going to go back, watch the Antonina Shevchenko fight, and be like, oh, look, she looked like fucking Nurmagomedov in there. How can you expect her to go out there and, you know, uh, stop the takedowns of Molly McCann? Molly McCann's not really a wrestler, right? She, it's kind of a, a part of her game that she's developed over her career, but like, it's not like she has a background in wrestling or anything like that. Uh, she chooses that path to victory when it's open for her and it has worked out for her at points, but it's not like she's getting crazy amount of control time on top of these opponents, right? She only has excuse me she only has a 20 i believe it was a 26 percent takedown defense accuracy like 
she doesn't spend much time on top. I believe there was one of the fights, uh, the Deanna Balbiza fights, where she lands like five or 14 takedowns and only has about three minutes of control time. It, it doesn't make any sense. Like, if people are thinking that she's going to go out there and grapple fuck Ji-Yoon Kim, I think they're in for a rude awakening here. I think Kim will do a good enough job in terms of stopping some of the takedowns, getting back to her feet, and start punishing her on the feet. Um, and I have it on pretty good accord here that Ji-Yoon Kim's been training the fuck out of her takedown defense over there at syndicate mma and knows that her best way to win this fight is if it stays vertical so they've just been they've been hammering that takedown defense and although it's hard for us to say okay just because they're doing it in training it's gonna translate to their fights and that's a part of our that's a part of our job though as like analysts and, and predictors and stuff is to say okay this is what we've heard are they actually going to be able to showcase that inside the cage given her size advantage given her reach advantage and everything i feel like she should be able to stop most of the takedowns from again or at least get back to her feet and then really let her hands go after that uh i think the sneaky prop here i know a lot of people love their over two and a halfs in women's mma which currently sits at minus 420 but i feel like a sneaky spot is kim via ko at plus 1000 uh let me sorry let me yeah plus 1160 i think that line's outrageous because i do think that kim is much better on the feet than molly mccann molly's gonna have so much distance to kind of cover to try to get her own game going and she has some decent striking of her own don't get don't get me wrong it's molly mccann at the end of the day but i do think that kim hits with a little bit more sting hits with a little bit more power and could potentially put together some punches here to to put molly mccann away who i believe is you know she's on her last legs here right two two fight losing streak she's really been down on herself if she goes out there and just runs into a bomb i wouldn't be surprised uh i like kim i am gonna take a little bit of a sprinkle on that ko prop just because i think it's a little bit outrageous am i too crazy how do you see this fight going down no i i'm gonna agree with you again here you know <clears throat> i have been debating betting kim on the money line you know here's the truth about molly mccann you know she got a little bit of shine because after she got smoked by jillian robertson in a short notice debut she went on a three-fight winning streak but like look at the people she beat it's lipsky priscilla cachoeira and Diana Belbita. Now, Belbita's aggressive, but Belbita literally cannot defend takedowns. And she got taken down five times that fight and lost the fight. Now you look at the fights when she's actually fought real competition, Tyler Santos and Lara Procopio, both of whom are decent, but I don't know how great they are. And they both won really without too much issue at all. On the other side, you have Jin Jiyun uh, Kim, who I think is, I want to say, foreign to in the UFC, something like that. But you look at the kind of level of girl she's fighting. Like, she's having competitive minutes standing with Antonita Shevchenko and Alexa Grasso. Like, Antonita Shevchenko and Alexa Grasso would each be minus 500 on the feet with McCann. And, you know, Kim had moments in both of those fights standing with them. So I don't think <clears throat> I don't think the stand-up's close at all. I think she'll do whatever she wants there. I, I do have concerns about Kim's takedown defense. I'm inclined to agree with you, Locke. Like, I don't think McCann's much of a wrestler, one, and number two, I think her control game is pretty weak. And so the base assumption that I have is Kim's going to be able to prop work up probably. And I don't think takedowns are going to come easy either way. But it is enough of a concern because, you know, we've seen her get – she got head and arm throw by Antonino, which is kind of whatever. McCann doesn't really do head and arm throws, and she's so much taller it would be tough here. But, again – it happened and she got held down for a bit and there's so little other data of kim on her back that it does scare me a bit just because i i hate being in a position where if like something happens that i saw on tape and then i lose because of it i'm gonna be like oh you fucking idiot like what are you doing <laughs> but but i i will say i think there is a chance with all, all everything kim's been doing that even if mccann can hit a bunch of takedowns kim gets up without a problem whereas on the other side I find it very hard to see McCann winning a kickboxing match here in any capacity. And you touched on it. Huge size advantage here for Kim. 10 inch reach, five inches of height. I think she's going to win this fight in terms of props. Yeah. I mean, I don't love anything here. You know, the, like, you know, the Kim decision plus 150. I mean, it's maybe a little off, but I don't think it's that great. I agree with you, to be honest. I think plus, if you have one of those books, like I wouldn't take Kim KO plus 700, but if you have it at like plus a thousand plus 1100, and you're talking about nine, ten percent. I mean, that that is pretty reasonable. And you know, we've seen Kim drop some girls before. She hits pretty hard, and Molly McCann's there to get hit. So I like Kim here, and I'm gonna side with Manpreet, go with the uh, the KO plus a thousand. Goddamn! All right, I thought I was uh, speaking out of my ass, but I, 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 
that that line is just a little bit too wide. It's a little bit too crazy. It is. And, and in terms of what uh, Kim's record is inside the UFC, she's three and three, uh, three wins over Justine Kish, Melinda Fabian, uh, Nadi Kasim, and then three losses to Lucy Putalova, Antonina Shevchenko, and Alexa Grasso. Again, pretty tough strength of schedule there for her. Uh, and I think all three of those women that beat Kim will more than likely beat Molly McCann as well. Yes. All right. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> Let's move on to the uh, main card here now. Uh, and I always like to take this time to remind you guys, hit that like, hit that subscribe, and obviously give my guy John a follow up there on Twitter as well. And uh, hit that club and sub podcast subscribe as well too because those guys are fucking phenomenal. All right. Main card, we got Luigi Vendramini t- uh, welcoming uh, the heavily touted, heavily hyped Patty Pimblet to the UFC. We got uh, minus 155 for Pimblet, plus 135 is the return on Luigi Vendramini. And I just don't understand this Patty Pimblet hype, man. I, I, I really don't get it. Like the guy's a grappler, it seems like he wants to go out there and grapple fuck his opponents, find the finish submission TKO, whatever it might be but yeah you can do that against guys that you're minus 500 against right like these last two fights decky dalton like that guy sounds like a made-up fucking fighter to begin with and then the the david martinez fight after that but like it, it's funny because we've heard about uh patty pimba for so long right it feels like three four or five years now that we've been hearing about him and if i'm not mistaken he wanted to get more money before coming to the ufc uh and then proceeded to lose a couple fights and then the steam was completely gone from him when i see that you have lost to Stevie Ray in a grappling match via heel hook, there's huge red flags for me there. Not to mention his first ever loss to Mr. Cameron Ellis via Anaconda Choke 35 seconds into their fight, albeit that fight was eight years ago. I'm sure Patty Pimblett's much better now, so let's give him a pass on that. But I feel like he's in some trouble here against Benjamini. You know, Benjamini, black belt in jiu-jitsu, has a great submission game, has some power in his hands. I feel like I even give him the advantage in the striking realm here. Patty Pimlet still seems a little bit kind of raw in the striking game. He definitely wants to get the fight to the ground and try to impose his will there. But I think he's going to have a very tough task in doing so here against Benjamini. Couple spots I like in this in terms of a prop perspective. Uh, I'm not entirely sure which one is the more widely available line because I'm seeing a ton of different... Um, uh, websites on, on both here they have the over uh one and a half and the uh, the over two and a half uh, it seems like it's widely available but i like the under two and a half at minus 125 i think both guys have finishing capabilities here but i really like Benjamini by submission at plus 1000 i think that line is absurd i think that's way out of whack i think it's very live here especially with how much i expect patty pimlet to be engaging in the grappling in this fight uh i could also see a possible club and sub situation for Benjamini. shout out to the club and sub podcast but I do think that this is a Benjamini fight. I truly think that Benjamini should be the slight favorite in the spot as well. Am I talking crazy? Am I not giving Patty Pimlet enough credit here, or do you agree as well? Uh, I have like similar thoughts here to the previous fight, to be honest, in that I'm with you on the Patty Pimlet thing. It's funny because we have been hearing about him forever, right? Like, I remember for like UFC London, like two or three years ago, taping uh, Nad Naramani and <laughs> coming across him yeah. fighting Patty Pimlet, which, by the way, Ned Naramani looked like Khabib Nurmagomedov in that fight. <laughs> For anybody wondering about Patty Pimblet on his back, you know, yep. we brought up the Stevie Ray thing. Um, yep. Yeah, I'm not a huge Patty Pimblet guy. I, you know, I think in general he's got the skills that he'll probably get a couple layup matchups where he easily submits, you know, the guys he's fighting because they're just not very good grapplers. Um, but in terms of here, you know, I'm torn because like, I know Vendramini is significantly better on the feet. I know he's likely the better wrestler. The problem is, again, like the Tavendramini tape, it's just, there's just not a lot of it. You know, you have the, the Zion fight, two fights that happen really fast, and then, you know, a couple old regional fights, right? So it's like, I don't have, again, much data of what happens if and when Vendramini ends up on his back. And like, that scares me, especially when one guy is a grappling and submission specialist, right? Like, I don't really want to end up in a spot where, Ven gets taken down 30 seconds into the fight and Pimlet's on his back. And I'm like, wow, fuck, I, I should have avoided this, right? But, you know, with that said, again, like I feel the same way. Like I said, I'm with you on Patty Pimlet. I don't I don't think he's a UFC caliber fighter at all. Um, I, I think he's got a UFC caliber submission game, but like, I, I don't personally think he's a UFC caliber fighter. He's going to probably like, hit us up or go crazy on Twitter after this. Guys, I'm not even going to get into it. <laughs> but, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't rate Pimlet at all. I actually – I don't want to say how high I rate Vendramini, but I think he has a skill set that's just much more translatable in the UFC. I have concerns about his get-up game, uh, which is why I haven't bet him yet. 
and I've been thinking about it. I've been waffling back and forth on this one all week. Uh, in terms of, but I do like Benjamini. Like if you're making a bet on the money line, bet Benjamini. Uh, don't bet Patty Pimlet as a favorite. Uh, if you're if you're betting on on if you want to like actually hit a prop here though, there is one I kind of like, and I do sort of like goes the distance to be honest. Um, you know, Vend is dangerous and can finish fights, and so is Patty. But both guys are black belts, and I sort of think. I agree with you. I think Vend is more likely to sub Patty than the other way around. But I do sort of think if this turns into like, there's a strong chance this turns into kind of a greasy match filled with scrambles or Patty trying to force grappling and clinching a, a bit. And Vend wasn't really, he wasn't very aggressive against for as I am in his last fight. And so now part of that's probably as I am pumping a jab in his face yeah. all fight, but I don't know. I, I kind of think if you're telling me Patty's going to try to grapple and he will, and I don't think he can sub Benjamini. I think that's a great spot for the over at Dog Money or for the goes the distance at plus 125. For me, it's more so seeing what kind of resistance Patty Pimlet can actually yeah. put up with, especially with the high level black belt here in uh, Benjamini as well, right? Like we've seen him go the full uh, five rounds against Soren back where he yeah. kind of had to deal with the grappling over there. Nadir Armani, again, not really a notorious finisher with his grappling, but more so just a controlling type of guy. Uh, whereas I feel like Benjamini is going to look to go for the finish a little bit more. Could potentially open up him getting finished himself or eventually him getting that sub so uh looking forward to that that i feel like that's like the only spot so far that we kind of disagreed upon in terms of like an over under or a yeah, yeah. Or so bro uh, i mean ned Armani is not even a grappler man yeah. <laughs> and it made it look like he was a grappler in that yeah. fight. all right let's move on to the next fight here we got kalia roundtree going up against modestus bukowskis talk about a shit show of a fight minus 150 for bukowskis plus 130 for uh kalia roundtree I don't know, man. I, I really don't know about this fight. Like, I, I'm having a, I'm having difficulty in terms of like picking uh, a total. Like, I don't know if it's going to go over, under. The only thing that's really stood out to me is that in the last fight for Cleo Roundtree, it seemed like the kicking game of Prakner really gave him issues in terms of getting comfortable and getting his own Ty Leal style off. Right? It didn't seem like he was able to get comfortable in there at all. Bukowskis, you know, if you watch most of his fights, it seems like he has a pretty kick-heavy uh, game plan because he's just so long and tall at this division that whenever he throws a kick, it seems like he's able to hit the guy from the other side of the cage. Um, I feel like if he leans on that here and tries to keep Khalil at distance, he should be able to have a good enough success. I'm not sure if that will allow him to actually open up and actually look for a finish in this fight. And I could just see him just remaining on the outside, trying to avoid the big shots of Khalil and just picking him apart with those kicks and, you know, maybe a jab or here uh, something here and there. Khalil definitely still has power. Modestus does have durability issues. So that's a little bit of a, a concern for me, which is why I want absolutely nothing to do with this fight. But in terms of actually picking a prop here and a prediction, I'm going Bukowskis and Bukowskis by decision, uh, which currently sits at... Uh, Bukowski's by decision is currently plus 320. Uh, I feel like he's just going to be disciplined uh, and, and stay away. If I'm not mistaken, he's on a bit of a losing streak right now. So he could potentially be on the chopping block as well, especially with the UFC cutting a guy like Antonio Braganetto who tested positive for COVID. And they're just like, see ya, Lilia Shakarova, <laughs> test positive for Suyusada, see ya, 0-1. So they, they could be feeling the burner here. And he's going to have to go out there and get a W as best as he can. Stay away from the big power of Khalil. And he should be able to cruise in this fight. I feel like he has decent enough to distance management to be able to do that especially against a guy like khalil who not really filling out to be tyleal as a lot of people expected him against a guy like uh like that performance he had against eric anders uh how do you feel about this one i know there's a prop out there that you know it did catch my eye i won't lie i won't lie i'm not going to say it myself i'll leave it up to you but uh how do you feel about this fight ultimately oh uh, dude tyleal man i bet eric anders in that spot against him too that was that was fun uh, <laughs> and then having to listen to him for two hours on rogan talk about becoming an elite striker christ uh, I'm glad but, I cashed with Ian Kutalaba the next time around. He's like, oh, you want to do me Muay Thai? <laughs> Let's take it down and see what happens. Um, in terms of the fight, I mean, for me and just kind of the way I view fights, like I am not a big – I'm not a big fan of either of these guys, to be honest. I was very anti Bukowskis coming into the UFC. I bet Mikolaitis against him in his first fight. In terms of Khalil, you know – I have looked to fade him as much as I possibly can over the course of his career so far. Sometimes working, sometimes laying three units on Gokan Saki and wanting to jump out a window. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, what I'll say is, look, I don't think, like, kind of like you said, Khalil's pretty basic. Like, if you go into the pocket with him, he's very dangerous. You know, his hands are very fast and his kicks are very hard early in fights. And 
I think against Bukowskis, that would be enough with 15 minutes of cardio. That problem really is he doesn't have 15 minutes of cardio. And what I do know is Bukowskis does have good cardio and he will keep a relatively high pace. And so that makes it, you know, even at plus 125 with me thinking that Khalil is a more skilled striker, knowing that I need to get him out of there in seven minutes probably to have a chance to cash my bet. I'm thinking plus 125 is not really doing it for me. But I do think, you know, when you look at this fight, like if it goes to decision, I'd much rather be holding Bukowski's ticket than a round three ticket. I'd go as far as to say I'd have Bukowski's like minus 400 if it had, goes to decision, right? But I do think, you know, he is hittable. Khalil's a huge hitter, and the opportunities to hit him are going to be there early. You know, we saw, you know, Lord McCall was getting off on him, no problem. Obviously, Jimmy Crute put him out cold. You know, we've seen the guy get hurt over and over and over again. And, I mean, I think like something like five or six of Khalil's eight wins have been in round one. Like, that's usually how the guy wins fights. And so, you know, with that being the case, like, I think there's a pretty strong chance he's going to put him out early. Uh, do I think it's like a 40 to 50% outcome? No. But like 25 to 30%, yes. So I like the Khalil KO round one plus five, or the Khalil, Khalil round one plus 500. Dude, that line is ridiculous. And if anything from this past weekend, Al Hassan plus 600 in round one, absolutely crazy to me that uh, I didn't even bother taking a little bit of a, a stab on that as I do think that there was a ton right. of value on it at Al Hassan plus 600 round one this past weekend. Even if I I, I was picking Decarico the whole week, but at plus 600, you got to take a little bit of a shot. It almost reminds me of um, who the fuck was it? Ot Ben Izatar against the Kama Worthy, plus 400 yeah. from to win inside round one. You got to take a shot considering the majority of his wins on round one. And I absolutely see your approach here. Plus 500 for Khalil round one is, uh, is a steal of a line. Even if it doesn't hit, I feel like you're getting an immense amount of value there, especially considering the shaky chin of Odessus Bukowskis. All right. Let's move on to the next fight. We got David Zavada going up against Alex Morono. I'm very intrigued to hear what you have to say about this fight. Uh, in terms of odds, we got minus 130 on Morono now. Plus 110 is a return on David Zavada. Morono actually opened up in the minus 200 range and has been heavily bet down to minus 130. A lot of people are on the Zavada side. And, and pre-tape, I agreed. I thought Zavada was a side here, but once you actually run the tape, I feel as though Morono is a little bit more uh, a stiffer of a test than most people are making it seem. I believe that there is slight uh, recency bias in this one, especially with the Zavada side, who went to, if I believe, a split decision against Ramazan Aviv yeah. last time. But we've grown to know that Ramazan Aviv, no matter if he's minus 200 or minus 700, the guy always fights the same, always fights to the level of his competition and makes his opponent look better than they should, especially considering what the odds are. And I feel like that's what people are kind of buying into here with Zavada having a close fight against Aviv. Uh, and not even, you know, even though he didn't get, get the win, at least they believe that his stock rose. But the way that Morono fights, I feel like it's going to be difficult for Zavada to keep up with that pace and that output that uh, Morono does. He's a zombie, right? Just yeah. moves forward, throws punches, has decent durability outside of that Chaos Williams fight. Uh, but then again, everybody's getting nuked by Chaos Williams. Um, but Morono, uh, I think he's the side here, especially at the line. I do think he moves forward, gets through whatever Zavada's throwing at him, and continues to put the pace on him. Uh, on the ground, both guys black belts, if I'm not mistaken, so I don't think Morono will be in too deep of trouble there. I, I have seen Zavada go through some wars against Danny Roberts and uh, 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 even the last fight against Ramazan Amiv, a bit of a war in that fight as well. But I do believe that Morono will be able to get the win here with with the with the output activity and the pressure that he's going to continuously put on Zavada in this spot, so I, I'm kind of liking the over over two and a half minus one seventy, a little bit chalky, but I would rather go with Morono via decision, which is what I think the ultimate uh, prediction here is going to be plus one eighty on Morono by decision. I don't mind that line minus one thirty is a little bit of a decent line too, in my opinion. I think maybe you should line it closer to minus one fifty, minus one sixty for Morono, but it seems like the market is just all over Zavada for some reason. He seems to be the public favorite dog this week. How do you feel about Marone or, or Zavada? And then ultimately, how do you see this fight going down and the prop that you like most? Yeah, I mean, coming into tape, I thought I was going to be betting Zavada, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, like, I, that was one of the lines that, that stood out to me right away. Uh, you know, the pro I, I agree with a lot of what you said. The thing is, like, Alex Morono, he gets kind of shit, a lot of shit, because I think he's First of all, I think he's kind of weird looking. Like he doesn't really look like an. I mean, he doesn't really look like an athlete, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the second thing is, like, you know, he's not flashy. He's not a guy who's coming out here flatlining people left and right. But you know, when you actually look at his game, he actually it actually works quite well. You know, the guy keeps an incredibly high pace, like you said. I actually think he's very durable. You know, he swung in the pocket with Max Griffin for three rounds, and Griffin hits pretty hard and never really blanched there. You know, him getting nuked by chaos, okay. I can live with that, though. You know, whatever. It happens. Like, KOs happen. But I think Morono's got a pretty strong game. Um, 
he's certainly more tested than Zawada. He's beaten a far better level of competition than Zawada has. And, you know, Zawada on the feet, like he'll keep a good output, but he's pretty defensively void. He's pretty easy to hit. And so, like, just, just looking at the kickboxing here, I think it clearly favors Morono. The reason I didn't bet Morono is really I think he has some pretty big wrestling holes, to be honest. Um, you know, it was really concerning to me that – Towards the end of the Max Griffin fight, Griffin was basically able to take him down like four times in round three without any problem at all. And, you know, Griffin doesn't have much of a control game, uh, fortunately, for Morono, and he was able to sweep his way up. But I do have some fears that Zawada, who has, you know, he will attempt takedowns here and there, that this could be one of those fights where, you know, Morono gets taken down and ends up trying to play guard or throw up a triangle or something from his back. Because I don't really think he's going to sub Zawada. I'm pretty sure he won't. And, you know, though that's mostly been the way I've seen Morono work up is – attempting submissions to sweep or stand. So I do agree with most of what you said. Like, I think Morono is the better fighter here. I think putting a line on it for me, I think the line's about right. And so I don't really love a side either way. What I do like quite a bit is the fight goes to decision. It's just minus 150. And kind of like how you touched on, I think Morono is actually pretty durable. I know Zawada is pretty durable. You know, he got finished once by Lee, but with a kick to the body. But, you know... That is what it is. You know, if Zawada does what he needs to win, it's probably going to involve a lot of grappling. And Morono's got very good jiu-jitsu. I don't think he's getting subbed. And on the flip side, you know, standing, you know, kind of like what you touched on, I don't mind the Morono by points either because I don't think Morono's very likely to finish him, but I do think he's going to have the large majority of standing success. So my favorite play here is uh, Go's decision, minus 150. I like it. And one last thing in terms of the Li Jing Liang fight for David Zavada. That was a fight where he's getting like nuked on the entire fight and then yeah. finally gives in at the end. I don't think we're going to see Morono throw with that much heat and that much intensity uh, and, and then ultimately get a get a, uh, a finish late in this fight. I do like that fight goes to decision, like the over two and a half, and then obviously like Morono uh, via decision in this spot as well. That brings us to our coming event, I believe here. We got... Yeah, we got a Tom Aspinall going up against Sergei Spivak. We're looking at minus 230 for Aspinall, plus 190 for Sergei Spivak. And uh, I've been waiting for an opportunity to fade Tom Aspinall. You know, uh, initially I thought Jake Hollier was going to be that guy until I saw him on the scales. I'm like, okay, abort, abort, abort. Uh, and then we saw Alan Baudot. No way I'm trusting Baudot with my money. Uh, I was close to pulling the pulling the trigger on Andre Alaska around plus 200. Glad I didn't, but we did see some deficiencies in Aspinall's game there, right? Like it, it looked like he was starting to slow down a little bit after that flurry, and that seems to be the trend with a lot of his fights if he's not able to get the finish. Uh, the Stuart Austin fight is the one that sticks out like a sore thumb for him, yeah. right? Gasses out a little bit and then gets heel hooked as a black belt gets heel hooked let me say that again as a black belt he gets heel hooked in the second round after it uh after you start to slow down and i expect the same thing to happen here not saying that spivak is going to go out there and submit him but if aspinall is not able to get him out of there in that first round i think he's going to have a difficult time doing so and i know a lot of people are just going to go back and say oh look at walt harris what did walt harris do to spivak Let's give Spivak some 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 slack there, right? The UFC debut, UFC jitters. You gotta give him that. Walt Harris, as shitty as he is, he always has that KO robust label on him, and you know, very explosive, very powerful. He was able to land on the chin of Spivak. It happened, but I'm ready to write that off. I'm ready to give Spivak, uh, you know, a mulligan on that one. And I feel as though he's slowly starting to come into his own as a fighter. Another thing I'll say about this: a lot of people are giving Spivak flack for not being able to finish a guy like Alexi Olenek. I believe I was I was one of the few, if not the only guy actually out there saying that Spivak wins this might be a decision because he doesn't want to overextend too much with his grappling uh, and get caught into something with by old man Olenek. And Olenek was still showing at times that he could, you know, definitely pull something off. But yeah, Spivak can go balls to the wall on the ground against a guy like Jared Vandera because he doesn't have to worry about getting fucking Ezekiel or something like that, right? So I, I'm giving him a pass for not finishing Olenek. Aspinall, on the other hand, I have huge question marks about his cardio and his gas tank, and I feel like the further this fight goes, it does favor Spivak. So I'm hearing takes out there about that Aspinall has better cardio than Spivak. How can you truly say that without seeing Aspinall in the third round? We've seen Spivak go out there and control a guy like Carlos Felipe on the ground. We've seen him go out there and implement his grappling game to the best of its abilities. So I like Spivak here. I was hoping I was going to be the only nutcase this whole week that's saying so, but I'm seeing other people out there liking the Spivak side as well. But I like Spivak via decision, which is plus 445. Absolute crazy line there. Uh, and possibly, you know, I got to sprinkle it. Spivak round three plus 1800 in case Aspinall's gas tank is truly as shit as I expected it to be. And then given that, uh, you know, his ground abilities, even though he's a black belt, seems to be lacking. I feel like Spivak can truly put the... Uh, 
put, put, put the whooping on him there. So, uh, again, reel me back a little bit if I'm going too hard on Spivak here. How do you feel about this fight? Um, yeah, so it's – I feel very similar. You know, you think I'm going to leave you on an island on a plus 200 dog? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's kind of funny, the Spivak cardio narrative, right? Because if you actually – you know, you look at his last fight, and he does gas out in round three. But end of round two, he looks pretty fresh. You know, round three, it seems to all go. And at middle of round three, he's totally gassed. And so if you watch that fight, it's like, yeah, Spivak has terrible cardio. But then you go back two fights ago, and you watch his fight with Carlos Felipe, a fight that was fought at a very high pace, where he attempted seven takedowns, landed three. And Spivak looked completely fine in round three of that fight. And so you can tell me he has bad cardio, except I saw that. I saw him spend eight minutes ragdolling Tai Tuivasa around before he finished him. You know, there, we have one instance of him gassing out, and it's heavyweight at the end of the day. So, look, he could gas out again, but, I, you know, Spivak's shown a lot more ability to go deep into a fight than Tom Aspinall has. Let's be real here. Uh, in terms of the fight itself, look, <clears throat> I bet Arlovsky in that spot. And the funny thing is I had a lot of people say to me after that, oh, you don't believe Aspinall's legit now? And I was like, I don't want to say he's not legit. I agree the guy is skilled. He's obviously explosive. He hits hard. He has good jiu-jitsu. But, like, actually contextualize these fights. What happened in that Arlovsky fight? He almost just finishes him at the three-minute mark. Suddenly his volume drops off a cliff, and Arlovsky actually looks like he's starting to come on in the last two minutes. First minute of round two, he's starting to light him up, and that's then one of the weirdest finishing sequences I ever yeah. see happens. He weird. takes him down. Arlovsky just gives him his neck, submits him even without a hook in. Like, uh, that, and that's bizarre. You know, it's just a completely bizarre scenario. And so it's Olofsky like he didn't even fight it. Like as soon as he got under the net, he just tapped. He's like, fuck. Like, I was saying, this yeah, I was like, I could have turned into that. Like, are you kidding, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> like, was, <laughs> so probably not. But like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, yeah. it's just it was a position you shouldn't be getting finished in. And so I didn't really take a lot away from him subbing Arlovsky or beating up Baudot, who can't grapple on the mat, you know, Um Look, I know he's a decent grappler, but I, I don't think that that those two outcomes are anything you can draw from. What we can draw from is he hits hard. He's athletic. He's obviously fast. But the reality is there's been two times in his career where he's actually gotten extended in a fight. The first time was against Stuart Austin, like you touched on, clearly slows down and then gets submitted and looked pretty bad when he got put on his back, by the way, in that fight. That's the other thing. You know, he may be a black belt, but we see you know, Tony Ferguson's a black belt and the guy gets yeah. stuck on his back whenever he puts him there, you know? Um and then, you know, the, the last fight with Arlovsky. You know, and he was visibly slowing down in the fight. You know, I'm not saying he would have lost to Arlovsky by any means. But, you know, Arlovsky was starting to outland him and outpace him in that fight, which is concerning. And so, Spivak, look, I don't think Spivak's great. But he's clearly demonstrated a game that's going to work for, like, top 10 to 15 in the heavyweight division. The reality is the heavyweight division is just not as skilled. You know, he keeps a high pace. He can wrestle a bit. Um, and he'll stay on, guys. And <laughs> I kind of think... I don't want to say I think he's going to do that to Aspinall, but I think there's a better chance than people are kind of assigning credit for. Like, are you telling me Aspinall KOs him in round one better than like 30% of the time? Like, I, I find that hard to believe. I've only seen Spivak get hurt once in the UFC, and I believe Aspinall is a big hitter, but like people generally tend to overrate how often a fight will finish. And I think that that's a classic case here because if this fight goes 15 minutes, I am going to be fucking thrilled talking my Spivak ticket. Kind of like I said two fights ago, if it goes 15 minutes, based on the unknowns with Aspinall, I'd actually favor Spivak in a 15-minute fight. Uh, the guy's only been finished one time. Like I said, I'm I'm pretty comfortable taking a stab here. Yeah, I expect that Aspinall is going to have some success early, but he's looked bad on his back. So who even knows what happens if Spivak gets on top of him really in this fight? And I trust Spivak's cardio more than I trust Aspinall's. I don't really... Like I said, I don't assign that much to the Atlantic fight. And so I like Spivak a lot here. I bet him on the money line. In terms of a prop, what I really like is Spivak by decision, which I believe is plus 500. I actually wouldn't mind a Spivak round three stab, but I do kind of think, you know, if Aspinall's guard retention is okay, which I'm expecting it to be, you know, you could just get a lot of Spivak with him pressed against the cage on the ground and, you know, just controlling him there uh, down the stretch or just outpacing him on the feet. We'll see. But I like Spivak by decision here, plus 500. Dude, I, I think the big thing about Aspinall is because on the surface, he looks so good, right? Yeah. Light on his feet, crisp boxing, good power in his hands. But what does it look like when his cardio is questioned and, right. and he gets pushed? And we've seen that happen a couple of times and it didn't work out for him. Now he's fighting a fighter that I believe won't cave in that first round like his last two, three opponents did. Or, you know, the Arlovsky one, again, very weird finish in that fight, but the Baudot and Collier fight. I'm not taking anything from those fights. No. 
give me a much yeah. more durable Spivak, right? So, I mean, in hindsight, if you were to rerun Collier Aspinall, I, I, you'd probably feel pretty good about having Collier plus 300 in that spot, right? I would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? But it so, just gets hit so goddamn much. That's the issue. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Which is kind of like Spivak, so who knows? Yeah. But, and like, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Aspinall is a fraud. but I agree. No, I'm with you right there. He could like, turn he, out to be the shit. Don't get me wrong, right. but we if haven't seen him in those teams, positions. He's going to be good. Exactly. Sure. And it's just like one of those things where it's like you see people all the time make assumptions about aspects of people's games we haven't seen. And if you learn anything, if you lose enough times, you realize you can't make those assumptions because more often than not, they don't turn out to be true, you know? So I'm Absolutely. happy to fade the unknown. Shout out my guy, uh, Dirty Reg 22 here. We're all experts before the fights and dumbasses after the fights, including them two cappers. Exactly. No matter what we say, however we try to break down our fights, <laughs> if it ends up losing, we're dumbasses. That's all yep. that matters. But at the end of the day, y'all are here watching us break these fights down, and that's what matters at the end of the day. All right. Uh, let's move on to the main event here. And again, another opportunity to remind the 115 live viewers that we currently have in here. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and then go and check out the Club and Sub podcast that my guy John over there uh, co-hosts every Wednesday night at 10 p.m. Link to their channel is in the description below, so give them a subscribe over there. All right, let's move on to the main event here. Middleweight fight between Derek Brunson and Darren Till. We got minus 170 on Darren Till now and plus 150 on Derek Brunson. Seems like a, a somewhat of a binary fight to break down, right? Brunson needs these takedowns. Otherwise, he's probably going to get touched up on the feet. Now, I've seen a couple of takes out there. Oh, Darren Till is not really a knockout puncher, right? He has two knockouts in the UFC or whatever the hell it is. How can you call him a knockout puncher? We knows we know he punches very hard. I believe he's dropped five out of his nine opponents, if I'm not mistaken. Like, the guy has power in his hands. And I've seen the other argument out there. He's very low volume. So, you know, how can you be comfortable with a guy that low volume? That low-volume approach is a concern when he's fighting another very good striker, in my opinion. When he's fighting a, a, a wrestler like Brunson here, I don't think the low-volume part of it's going to matter. Sure, Brunson will probably complete a couple takedowns early in this fight, but if anything that we learn from that Kevin Holland fight, and this is coming from somebody that was holding a Derek Brunson ticket that night, you can't trust him on the feet because every second that fight was on the feet in the rounds three, four, and five, I was shitting my pants because Kevin Holland was touching him up a little bit. And luckily for Derek Brunson, Kevin Holland has a non-existent takedown defense game, which is why he was always able to get bailed out by getting that takedown. Darren Taylor will be a lot harder to take down, first and foremost, 82% takedown defense. He'll be a lot harder to keep down. And then on, on the feet, if he starts touching up Brunson, it's going to be very tough for Brunson to get out of there. I really like Till in this spot. When this fight was initially announced, I felt like it was going to be a lock of the night play for me regardless. Um, I, I did the tape, ran the tape, still confident in it. Again, the only real thing that I'm hearing in in, uh, in Brunson's favor is that uh, Darren Till is very low volume and Brunson should be able to take uh, get the takedowns. And I've heard some takes out there, actually, that the longer this fight goes, the more it uh, helps Brunson. But I feel the complete opposite. You know, I feel like he's going to have very uh, uh, have a lot of difficulty in terms of controlling Darren Till on the ground. And then when this fight's on the feet, I feel like it's almost one-way traffic. I don't want to completely uh, nullify or, or count out the knockout ability that Derek Brunson has because he still has some big power in his hands. And if he's able to set it up properly with a takedown feint or something like that and come over with a big overhand right, he could potentially clip Darren Till and put him out because we've definitely seen Darren Till knocked out in the past. Um, but I still feel as though that Till will be prepared for this fight. Uh, he Again, he'll probably not win the first couple rounds. But after that, I think he starts to take over and then eventually finds that knockout blow. My official prediction was Darren Till round four KO. In terms of props, how that translates, uh, Till by KO is per, uh, right now plus 135. But the round props on Till are very intriguing for me as well. Round three plus 950, round four plus 1550, and round five plus 2350. I, I just feel like Brunson is going to be desperately shooting for takedowns later that this fight goes. He's not going to be successful on it. And then Darren Till should be able to go to work after that. Am I giving Till too much uh, credit here? Or do you, do you see it uh, uh, the same? First, let me just say, Derek Brunson is my guy. I think he is tied with Carlos Barza for the most money I've made on any fighter in my life. Shabazian, Dude, Kevin yeah. Holland. Let's go. I, I, I had him in his last four fights, and it's been yeah. awesome. I, I, have, I like Derek Brunson so much that the perfect dream ending for me is him going, beating Till on Saturday, and then knocking Izzy out cold to get the title back <laughs> and get his revenge. Unfortunately, that is the storybook ending, but we are not in a story. Book. Uh, and unfortunately, he has Darren Till he's facing off with on Saturday afternoon. And 
look, I don't have a bet on the fight yet anyway. I have the volume concerns about Till. You know, I pretty much bet Whitaker against him solely because of the volume aspect of that fight. But the truth is, you know, that was Robert Whitaker in a fight where I knew the striking was going to be competitive. No matter, I, I kind of edged, gave Till a slight edge technically. Derek Brunson is just not on the same level as a striker. Like the, the reality is like, look at the guys. You can say whatever you want. You know, I was in the Till's a fraud camp for a while. But at some point, you have to acknowledge what the guy did. You know, he beat Wonderboy. Even if you want to say he lost that fight, what you cannot say is it wasn't a close fight with one of the best strikers in the UFC. You know, he went head-to-head with Masvidal, and he was having a ton of success that fight before he got knocked out. You know, and then we saw him with Whitaker, who – look what Whitaker did to Kelvin Gastelum. Whitaker's one of the best strikers in the UFC, and again, you saw a very, very, very close fight. And so as much as I have tended to try to discredit Till in the past – what I don't think you can dispute is the guy is an absolutely elite striker. And so for Brunson, look, I, I mean, we saw Masvidal clip him. And I suppose Brunson could, you know, clip him and knock him out. He does hit very, very hard. Like that is in play. But for Brunson to win this fight, it's probably reliant on the grappling, like very, very heavily on the grappling here. And he needs to hold him down, in my opinion. The problem for me is it's been, other than Kevin Holland, it's been really a long time since Brunson's really held down anybody for an extended period of time. And I actually think what we have seen of Till's get-up game is pretty good, and I think pretty good is enough to work up against Brunson. And, you know, he has very good distance management. You know, Brunson's going to bum rush in a lot of times, and he's, you know, Till can punish him in ways that Holland and Heinish and Edmund and Elias Theodoro could not punish him for coming in aggressively for takedowns. And so I think Till's going to be able to keep the fight on the feet for most of the fight. And like I said, I have some concerns about a Brunson knockout. I have some concerns he could outwork him. But ultimately, when it comes to like looking at it, if I think Till can keep this fight on the feet for 15-plus minutes, and I do, it's impossible for me to not favor him in this spot. He's just too <coughs> – sorry, the gap in technical proficiency is just way too wide-standing. That Brunson – I don't want to say he's checkmated without a KO – I suppose he could have volume him, <clears throat> but it would be a very, very tough ask. So if you put a gun to my head on who to bet on the money line, I like Till. In terms of props for this fight, <clears throat> low-key sneaky one. I, I don't really like the props for this fight. Let me just say that first out there. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I, I really, really don't just because I think everybody kind of had in their head coming into this. Oh, Till's going to knock him out. And so instead of us getting like something like plus 250 or something on a Till KO, it's like plus 140. And it's like, I don't, I think that's probably about right, to be honest. So if I'm going to give a prop here, and this is a prop show, so I am going to give a prop here, we're going to go with Till wins by decision, which is depending on the book, plus 400. You could also do goes the distance, but you know, I think. Like I said, I think Till's got a good chance to KO him, but I do think, you know, if you price Till 65, 70%, which is about where I put him here, uh, I think decision is probably like 30%, you know? And so that's plus 230. So I th- it seems like decent value on the Till by decision. So I'm picking Till, and I like Till by decision here. I like it. I like it. I'm glad that we're kind of on the same page there. Uh, again, I've seen a ton of uh, uh, arguments against it, but I feel as though, like, this is one of those spots, just don't overthink it, right? Like, yeah. oh, should be able to get him out of there or at least win this fight regardless. Uh, quick shout out here to my guy, Adam Kana, or I, I might be absolutely butchering his name there. Um, says he trains at the gym that Tom Aspinall trains, which if, not, if I'm not mistaken, also is the gym that Darren Till trains out of. If that is true, please make sure you uh, slide in my DMs. I have a question for you. I heard something that I'd like to uh, kind of get some uh correction on so if you're on twitter or on instagram uh side of my dms at mmalot and i have a question for you that i really need the answer to um but yeah uh that is pretty much a wrap on the breakdowns obviously next up we have our three best prop bets that we're going to share with you guys uh, unfortunately let me just check my dms real quick we don't have uh cody's three best prop bets so it's just going to be me and uh and john here so let me just pull this up but first and foremost if you guys haven't ever haven't already heard 
tomorrow's ultimate weigh-in show is going to be a big one. We got my guy James Cross coming on, and then we got Fight Ready's Eddie Chaw coming on as well. So both star-studded coaches and obviously have very good camps under their belts as well. Very much looking to see how they're able to break down this 10-fight slate for us and if they have anything to uh, to add or give us uh, any type of insight that could help us make some money this weekend. Eddie Chaw, don't get it, don't get it twisted. I believe his father is a famous poker player. So he's been around the gambling scene a little bit. He knows what the fuck he's talking about. Really looking forward to that. And then obviously James Cross has that show on ESPN MMA's YouTube channel with uh, Brett Okamoto and Nick Kalika. So both guys knows what they're talking about. Nick, uh, our guy, James Cross coming back for the second time. And then Eddie Chaw making his debut on the show. Hopefully I'll be able to bring him in for a couple more shows moving forward. All right, let's get to the, uh, to the props here. Uh, three best props. If my there we go. First one I got up is Martinez and Rojo under two and a half at plus one fifteen. Think there's gonna be some violence there. Really looking forward to that. Um yeah, I, I think both guys have finishing potential. I think Rojo early or Martinez late. Uh, but I think the pressure that Rojo is gonna go out there and put on Martinez will allow us to cash that under two and a half. So I like that plus one fifteen. Then we're just off to the races. We get a little bit crazy. If you guys are longtime viewers of propping you up, you guys know I like to get a little bit crazy with some of these props. So second up. I'm going Mark andre Barrio, round three, plus 750. Got to take a little bit of a shot there. If you are with one of those books that have it closer to plus 1,000, even better. You know what I mean? That's probably where you're getting the most value from it. But I do think he's going to be able to outwork Dalcha and then finish him late in this fight. And then lastly, y'all want crazy, right? Let me give you some crazy. Benjamin via sub, plus 1,000. Feel like there's some value on there as well. Uh, one more that I wanted to add here, but these are the three best that I could come up with. I really do like that Kim via KO at plus 1160. If you can get it around plus 1,100, plus 1,200, I do think she ends up uh, uh, you know, touching up uh, Molly McCann. And I think there's a good chance she actually ends up putting her away john we're moving on over to you brother yeah so first up i got jack shore to win inside the distance at minus 110 uh you know the, to me this is just a very binary fight here you have two guys that kind of want to institute a grappling based game plan one guy is just way way better than the other one usually when two grapplers meet and one is way way better they dominate grappling's very low variance as i said not to be a dead horse but it bears repeating you're very, very, very rarely going to see a worse grappler outgrapple the better grappler. And given Shore's ability to advance position, which I think he's going to be able to do here pretty easily, it's hard not to expect him to finish this fight at a pretty healthy clip. So I think ITD around evens is way, way better than anything else out there parlaying up the short money line. Next up, I got Khalil Roundtree, round one, plus 500. And the basic thinking here is, look, I don't trust Khalil in a fight that gets extended, but I do think he's the more tested, more proven fighter, and I do think he's the far more dangerous fighter, on top of which we have Modestus Bukowskis, who likes to stop punches with his face. And so opportunities are going to be there early in this fight for Khalil to win. <clears throat> we know he drops guys at an absurd clip. I believe his knockdown rate's about 4.5%. And so given that, combined with Bukowskis' fragility and his ability to be hit, it's hard for me to not think that this happens you know, at a 25 or so percent, uh, percent clip. And so I like it here. Plus 500 is decent value for the KO. And last up, we got Spivak by decision, plus 500. Again, not saying I hate Tom Aspinall, but I think he's largely unproven. His cardio is especially untested. We saw some cracks in that last fight. His grappling is also defensively is a question mark for me. Spivak's the kind of guy, if he can get, if he can weather the early storm, he's going to be there all day jabbing in his face and looking to wrestle him. I think he's the kind of guy that if he can weather that storm, he's going to take Aspinall in the dark, dark waters late in this fight. And ultimately, because of Aspinall's black belt and the fact that Spivak's not a big hitter on the feet, I just don't really expect he finishes this, and so I think the money line is narrow there. But I think the best value on the on the, this on this fight is Spivak by decision at plus five hundred. I will say I was damn close to adding Spivak round three as well, plus eighteen hundred. But I felt like I still need to mention it during this segment as well. All right, that's pretty much a wrap on the show. John, is there anything you want to say on the back end here before I wrap it up, brother? No, no, no. I, last week was a disaster. Hopefully, this one's going to be a lot better. <laughs> If you're tailing. So I'm excited for the fights this weekend, though, and I'm especially excited for next car. But, yeah, you guys can catch me Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern on the Club and Sun podcast. Yeah, for sure. And also, I do want to say this. Uh, we gave out nine best prop bets last week. Only one of them hit, and that was from Cody. Uh, he ended up giving <laughs> us uh, Aldrich via decision at minus 170, and a, a bunch of us missed on the fight. Doesn't go to decision for that Martinez and Kennedy uh, fight. So hopefully we're able to turn around for you guys this week and give you guys some more winners on those three best prop bets. But at the very least, hopefully we give you guys some more insight on some of these fights that are coming down. So just a reminder, tomorrow night, 9 p.m. Eastern, Ultimate Wayne Show, me, James Krause, 
Eddie Chaw. Make sure you guys tune in. There's going to be a ton of knowledge being spit on that uh, show. So make sure you guys tune in for that. And then obviously fight day, uh, I'll be doing the live chat. And I don't know if I'm able to spill the beans now, but I'm going to do it anyway. Fuck it. I think I'm going to go, be going over to Z's place once again, and we're going to be doing a fight companion live from his Fuck place that. once again. So uh, you guys are going to be this weekend. This. This weekend, yes. Oh man, I'm gonna be in like my wife's cabana listening to your sweet voice come through the phone while I'm watching it. Let's go, let's go. Show the support. I love it. Yeah, it's an early card too. So I gotta get my ass out of my house at like 9 a.m., 10 a.m. to make it up to Z's place in time for the for the fights. But yeah, make sure you guys tune in for all of that stuff. Always some good content coming for you guys. Not just on my channel, but obviously over there for the club and sub guys as well. Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. All right. Good luck on your bets this weekend. Good luck on your props this weekend. And I will see you guys tomorrow night. War, Darren Till and Sergey Spivak. Let's fucking go. Let's do it. <laughs> Peace, guys.